Lots of things are better together. Hockey, food, golf. I mean, beverages, watching a big game, it can't get any better. But if you really want to take things to the next level, drink some Labatt Blue Lights with your friends and live life to the power of we. Always enjoy responsibly. Beer, Labatt USA, Buffalo, New York. Whether you're hosting game day or movie night, DiGiorno knows that planning a watch party on a budget isn't easy. You need the perfect setting, the perfect squad, and the perfect eats. Luckily, you're a game time mastermind, and you know that grabbing DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza can bring home a dub because it's packed with half a pound of cheese, sauce, and other toppings and comes at an incredible price. Make the game-winning call and grab a DiGiorno Classic Crust Pizza from the grocery store today. It's not delivery, it's DiGiorno. Volume levels are checked. We got it up to six, unlike in Spinal Tap where they turn it up to 11. It's me and Michael Lombardi back again. We got tons of great stuff to get to, man. I cannot wait. As soon as I heard hard knocks and the Raiders, I said, my guy Lombardi's head's going to explode. But I just want to let you know, I just got back from Toronto, the victory parade there, first time ever for the Raptors. A very cool scene, man. We're going to talk more about parades and what to expect. But my first thought for you is this. The last time I was in Canada was prior to cannabis being legalized. Let me tell you something, man. Instead of we the North, it's weed the North. That's what that entire parade was. <laughs> One and a half million people, Mike, were high as kites. You better make sure zone doesn't drug test you this week. You better <laughs> make sure that doesn't happen. I mean, you're going to definitely, hey, I had that secondhand smoke. It was weird. I was in Canada, too. I was in Vancouver for uh, a speech, and I went with a bunch of Canucks, the Canadians, to this bar in Vancouver, which was just incredible. And we sat there and watched the first half of the game. And then I went to the Vancouver airport to watch the second half. And I'm high-fiving with a bunch of other people. And I'm not even a Raptors fan when they won it. It was so good. It was so much fun. It's easy to get swept up in the the emotions of it. Honestly, every time I'm around there, do you find that I used to always resist this, Mike, and that Canadians had an accent? But every time I go back, I hear it more and more. It's like, hey, good to see you, bud. How are things going? Yeah. And they're so nice. I mean, the whole time I was in Vancouver, everybody was so nice. I mean, what a beautiful city. I mean, I've never been up there. I've been to Seattle and never been up there. But the city was just absolutely gorgeous. I had people on Twitter contact me, direct message, hey, can I meet you in the coffee shop? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Why not? You know, (laughs) a guy gave me a little book. Good morning, Vancouver. I mean, it was great. It really was. It was an awesome experience. That shows how accessible you are. Other people are ignoring DMs. You're like, yeah, sure. Come on by. Let's have a coffee. Yeah, why not? I mean, look, I I mean, look, I, I. I, I bug people all the time. I mean, I became friends with Ryan Holiday from bugging them. I, you know, like to me, I think if you're that snobbish and you don't let people reach out to you. Now, look, if somebody calls me a complete asshole, I don't think I'm going to go meet them. But I, I you know, so yeah. I do have well, my limitations. One would think that's not the introductory line, in which case to meet somebody. Yeah. Hey, I got a bone to pick with you. You know what? I'm busy. I'm sorry. I can't make it. But uh, yeah, Stanley Park, <laughs> Grouse Mountain, great places in Vancouver. Let's get to the main topic, my man. Seriously, this is enough fodder for us for the next I, years, I feel like. I mean, hard knocks, Raiders, Gruden oh, with an open mic. It's going to be brilliant. I mean, first of all, the setting there. I wrote about it in the Affleck. The setting is so perfect. They take over the nap of Marriott, right? And so there's the fields behind it that the Raiders have built, but they give in the winter to the soccer teams of Napa Valley. So there's two really good fields and a half. They have a weight room locker room the players can walk there's a little bit of a pool I mean it's just an incredible setting and and it's so perfect because literally you'll go out there in the morning and it'll be cold you'll need a sweatshirt and at 10 minutes to 10 like clockwork the sun breaks through and it's hot as hell and what makes this so good is that you know you you get an opportunity 
to get Gruden in really his rarest form. He's going to have to become John Gruden, not John, I love you, bro, like John, I hate everybody, bro. Like that's what it's going to have to be. He can't sit there and hide this. Like he's going to have to show us who he is. And then you got Paul Gunther. I wrote about this. Neil Simon in his book, Rewrites, has this incredible, and, and I think this is the way we should all make friends lifelong friends particularly he said that he struggled neil simon for anybody who doesn't know was the great playwright wrote the odd couple barefoot in the park brilliant writer. lost in yonkers yeah lost in yonkers you know all of them right i mean so goodbye girl uh anyway he had the hardest time writing plays and he said you know what I realized is I didn't make the characters interesting enough in act one for the viewer to want to see him in act three and when you think of the greatest shows you, you'll profile on Cinephile or you and I have watched, The Sopranos. I mean, we know Tony Soprano's Sopranos an asshole, but we can't wait to see him in Act 3, right? Yeah. I mean, really, when you look at the finale of the Seinfeld, Larry David was basically saying, you dumb fucks. Like, these people are horrendous, and you liked them. Right. It jokes on you, assholes. Like, you like these people, but, but I made them interesting, so you wanted to see him in Act 3. I think it's Neil Simon's greatest work. And, and I think if you choose friends that way, it's brilliant. Because, look, you don't want to be friends with somebody who can't get you to act three. That They're too boring. And I think that Gruden and this whole element is truly an act three if they let it play. Mayock, who's got, you know, he's going to want to come on there and show he's doing really good. You got Gruden, who's in charge. You got Gunther, the defense coordinator. And you've got a host of others. Antonio Brown. I mean, uh, you know, we get to see Derek Carr in his purest form. How good can this be? I mean, if you're HBO, I mean, you're so, you you got to be thinking this is up subscription rates here. Yeah, I was about to say it, it's obviously a win for HBO, Mike, because you say this guy is you know made for TV. John Gruden literally was an analyst on Monday Night Football for years and big personality. You mentioned Mayock, how he's going to perform, etc. What's the win for the Raiders? Like, if you're running the Raiders, what's the win? You already have exposure. Do you need more exposure? What's the thinking well, for them? I think the win for the Raiders is, and we're going to talk about basketball later in this pod, but the win is to explain their plan. Look, I think the 76ers, I, I don't buy the process, but the reality of it is, is they explained it and people bought it. People want to hear your plan. It's really called, it's called management of attention. I have a plan. I'm going to explain it. And, and people buy a plan. Fans want to know what your plan is. But if you don't tell them what it is, that, then they start guessing they can't get behind it. I think this is a form for the Raiders to use to show, A, they have a plan, B, they know what they're doing, and C, they have a short and long-term way of affecting their team. I think it's perfect. Now, if they don't, I mean, the scene that it comes to mind all the time is one of your friends, Herm Edwards, when he was on Hard Knocks. And yeah. I really think Herm Edwards got fired because of Hard Knocks. When he was sitting in his office, quiet, with no music or nothing, pondering whether he was going to start Brody Croyle or Damon Hewitt as a starting quarterback, I'm like, this can't last. Like, this, like you can't – there's no choice here, right? Right. And then he had his meetings with Dick Curl to go over game – I mean, it really showed a bad side of him. I, I think – you know, I, I think it can be really bad. I mean, look, when you looked at Marvin Lewis and the Bengals and what they did, you actually say, you know what, Marvin's actually, this is a tough spot for him. He's doing a good job. Yeah, it's interesting. You're right. How television, that medium can frame opinions. And for anybody who says, well, okay, it's one thing the fans think that, but what happens to everybody else? But I'm with you that I think that that's how, listen, opinions can be formed, right? Medium is the message, all that kind of stuff. So, and not, no doubt. And I, the only thing that's missing is, is HBO should go over to this one table at the Marriott, where Al Davis ate dinner every single night at 9.30. And they should just film it as if he were there. 
you know, I could come in and do the impersonation. I'll have the English cut prime rib. You know, I'll, I could do it all. I mean, he literally would have that meeting there. You would have to stay awake for that meeting to, to have dinner with him at 1130 every single time. He's the boss. Whatever he says, you do it, right? There's no, no There's so asked. many ghosts to him. You know, there's so many ghosts. Like when you go on that field, there were so many ghosts of him to see him. But he was the guy that wanted nobody. How, you know, I, I put it in my column, you know, it, John Lennon's great song, Strange Days Indeed, you know. I mean, could you imagine if Al were alive and he knew, A, the Raiders spent money on Antonio Brown, B, the Raiders did all the things they drafted on offense, a defensive lineman who didn't run a 40 in the fourth pick overall, and now they're letting fan, they're letting the cameras come into the – like, this is so anti-Raider, it's unbelievable. Rolling in his grave, as the expression is. Speaking yeah. of TV guys, uh, John Fox, who, of course, was Panthers head coach, Bears head coach most recently, now a talking head taking shots at the Bears. When he was asked about the worst camp he's seen from the offseason, he immediately went at the Bears. Do you think there's truth to what John's saying, or is this sour grapes? You know, I don't, you know, look, I, I, I've i always been anti the Bears in a little bit because I think too many people put too much stock in this quarterback, Mitchell Trubisky. Like, at some point, you got to be able to throw the ball with accuracy. I mean, like I said last week on the podcast, I actually read where somebody was writing about how he's the best quarterback in the NFC North. I mean, are you kidding me? Seriously, uh, you know, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, you know, I think the challenge, what I think John's saying is he didn't say this last year because I think he liked Vic Fangio. I'm not sure he's what he's saying is, and this is my interpretation. I don't have any facts of that. Is he saying that Chuck Pagano is not going to be as good as Vic Fangio? I, I think that's kind of what he's saying. And if he looks at it, when you go deeper into it, you know, I, I think, look, there's always going to be this team that plays that played that or easier schedule bears that now have to take a step up and the games become much harder and the games become much more difficult. And I think Matt Nagy's going to have to figure out how does he utilize this? Cause everybody, I'm not the only person who thinks Mitchell Trubisky is, a, is not going to be a blue chip player. I know the fans do. I know that. I understand that. But everybody in the industry that I talk to that, that, that watches pro tape for a living, they're not buying it. They're just not buying Trubisky. And I think that the defense, can they carry him? It's a little bit like the Ravens. Can Lamar Jackson play outside his comfort zone? And if the Ravens get behind, can Lamar Jackson play catch up? Are they going to be able to be – because their defense isn't going to be as good. It's a little bit cause and effect, like, it, and that's what happens. If something was generating this part of your team that hid the other part, you got away with it. And I think that's where people misconstrue a little bit from year to year. So I think what Fox is saying is, look, the defense has literally fueled their offense. There's no doubt about the creative turnovers. He's saying maybe Pagano might not be the right guy. Well, that's fair, then. You're right. If he's supporting Fangio, then it's a different way of looking at it. It's a different outlook as well. Speaking of outlooks, anytime you hear tampering, you go, ooh, we get some intrigue here. The Patriots calling out another team for tampering, and the other team says, okay, stand down. Give us the details on this one. All right. Well, I mean, look, I mean, Nick, Nick Cesario is a, a, a true great soldier that works at the Patriots. I mean, Nick does everything that Bill wants him to do, and he does it really well. He, you know, Nick has never really had to be the true GM because Bill or really demonstrates all the work, and Bill's praised Nick tremendously, and I think it's well-deserved. Nick works extremely hard. But I think Nick's at the point now where, you know, the one thing about the Patriots that I think is common knowledge throughout the NFL is they're not the highest-paid team in terms of their front office in the National Football League. So I, I think there's a chance that, that this happens. And I think that Nick put it in his contract, how I don't know, but he did put it in his contract that he wanted to have 
you know, that he would not interview with anybody else. Now, why he would sign that, I just don't know. But essentially, that's the breach. It, once he once he wants to talk to Houston, that's a breach of contract. And I think the Patriots are ready to go to the mattresses to really enforce what the language that they had. And I think once Nick realized that, look, I can't make this go, they backed away. I think the story here really is more. The story here is more about what do they do next? Because it sounds like they're not going to do anything next. It sounds like Jack Easterby, who was with us all there, has had this. M- really unbelievable rise. I mean, Jack is an incredible, he's a preacher. He held the guy, he held the team meetings in terms of preaching. He was part of team development, did a great job. Now he's assuming the role of vice president. He'll tell you, Hey, I'm just here to serve, but he's got a big job. It isn't just a service job. And I think it's going to be fascinating to see how they do it because people look at NFL teams and they manage them on a, on a line to line basis, but there's got to be a visionary in the front office. There's got to be somebody who says, Hey, if we don't change this and that, we're not going to be able to beat this team. If we don't do this or that, like that's what I think misses with the 76ers. If they, if they would have had a visionary in the front office and said, hey, if we don't get a backup center, I know we have Amir Johnson on the team, right? But Amir Johnson can't help us beat Toronto in, in, in April or May. We better, you know, somebody's got to make these kind of comparisons as they look globally of the league. It's called experience. I don't see that in Houston. I think Jack works at his job, but you know, you know, AD, when you go from one job to the next job and all of a sudden you add titles and a lot of cash to it, you didn't necessarily earn it. You just got it. And I think like Peyton Manning has made a lot of people's career enhanced. I think Bill's made other people's careers enhanced because all of us formed a part of what Bill was ultimately able to bring. Yeah. It's the Bill Walsh coaching tree. Similarly, you can say the Bill Belichick tree of all these disciples. Like I, I, I've said this a thousand times. Like I'm a really good personnel guy with Belichick. I, I'm not very good with somebody else that doesn't understand the culture, that doesn't understand what he's doing. And I think that once these guys break away, I mean, can Jack Easterby have an effect and still be in the front office? Now, you know, Jack's talking about Corinthians one eleven. Right. And then he's talking to the players. Now you add the Bible into the player salary. Oh, that's a whole other different game. And he can't say he's not going to affect player salary because he's talking to the players all the time. When you're the team chaplain, right? You know, in Catholicism, we go into that thing that my mother used to make me go to every Saturday night confession, right? And you tell the guy, look, I did this, I did that. You held about 20 things back. You still got 20 Hail Marys and 40 Our Fathers, right? Like if you're the team chaplain, and you're also in the front office. Do you think the players are going to be totally honest with you? No. <laughs> Do you? I mean, look, I mean, I can't stop drinking. Or look, I've been hanging out at the titty bars too long. That ain't going to happen anymore. Like, you can't do that job. Like, you, that's hard to do. So how is your effectiveness going to be effective? Great point, man. When you're adding, like, moral complexity to issues, it's like, listen, sports should not be a playground for moral fiber, right? Like, we're just trying to win. When you're trying to have too many people do one thing, you're right. It gets complicated. Look, what people don't understand is when you walk into an NFL locker room or an NBA locker room, they're not reading People Magazine or the sports page of the of the USA Today. They're reading the business page, right? They're all financial guys down there. And so when you when they think they can affect your earning power, oh, time out. Like Jack, when he was with the Patriots, he was hearing confession. Now he's a vice president of team development. He ain't hearing any confessions. Nobody's calling him on the phone. Here's the thing that's amazing is people say all the time, why do players, why do players not utilize the service teams provide for when they're drunk? The reason they don't utilize is because 
the, the, if the if the limousine company calls the team and says, yeah, we just picked up Lombardi, he was smashed. They don't want that. They would rather have the risk of having something else. It's the same thing with this. This is like, how does this work? Like it worked in New England because there wasn't that, there wasn't the linear effect of Easterby talks to the player, talks to the guy who controls salaries, and then it works out. That, that, that line, the players didn't draw. So they were open and forthright with them. Now, I don't see it. And by the way, Lombardi's never smashed. He knows how to handle his booze. He knows how to handle himself yeah. on the road. Never an issue. Now, now, the one guy that'll be hilarious is how many beers does John Gruden drink when we watch Hard Knocks? Because two beers John smashed, it'll be good. You know, give me some juice here, man. And that'll be hilarious. A couple of quarters lights, he'll be good. Uh, we'll get to the NBA in just a second. The Anthony Davis trade. One other NFL thought. Todd Gurley, arthritic knee is what they're saying. I mean, any... Anytime you hear arthritis, you're like, oh, my God, this is already a concern for the Rams, and he's a young guy to have this issue, isn't he? Yeah, no doubt. I was told this reliably, that that the week, like the last month of the season when Gurley wasn't playing, that somebody asked somebody at the Rams and said, why doesn't Gurley play? He said, if you watched him on Wednesday or Thursday practice, he can barely walk. I mean, they get them to the game, and that's all they can. It's the same thing. When you have an arthritic knee and you can't practice, or you're Joel Embiid and you've got bad knees and you can't practice, you don't get in shape, you can't, you can't, you, you become unreliable. This girly thing, look, I've said it numerous times on this podcast. They gave him $60 million guaranteed. Everybody in the league thought, holy shit, like, how could you do that? They did it. I'm thinking, like, to me, I think they might have blown the money because they're going to have to eat this thing. And I think girly. You know, we're talking about this. I think Gurley, everybody should stay away from Gurley in fantasy. Like, I, he's going to have to be proven to me before I would take him. We talk about big risks, and that's what the Lakers did, at least in terms of what they gave up. They know they're getting an enormous investment, though, with Anthony Davis. I mean, listen, LeBron says, get me a guy. All right, we got you, AD. This guy's as good as it gets in the game. Top three, top five player in the NBA. But you give up a ton. So, you know, Alonzo Ball, okay, fine. A couple other plays, sure. But the three picks, and that's where you start to say, Mike, all right, wow, an unprotected number four in what, at least for this year's draft, most are saying the top three are outstanding with Zion, John Morant, R.J. Barrett, the Canadian, and after that, who knows? But when you see that trade, the first thing I thought of, and I'm sure you thought the same, was Herschel Walker. You go, that's no a doubt. massive haul to give up. Now, if I'm the Lakers and LeBron, huge win. If, if Davis is my guy, I'd be the running mate to elevate this team, great. But if you're the New Orleans Pelicans now, you can really rebuild this team on the fly. Right. What, the, what, what I think the Lakers are saying, what I think everybody's missing is, is basically they're saying most of you guys can't evaluate personnel. Like I, the question I think you should ask the Lakers, would you make this trade if Jerry West were picking the players in New Orleans? Because he would hit on all those picks. Exactly. Yeah. He would hit on all those picks. Right. Would you make this trade if Danny Ainge was picking in Boston? Because he would hit on most of them, right? Like, when you look at the 76ers, I mean, in the span of, of the last four drafts, 2016 to 2019, the Sixers have had five picks in the 20s, six picks in the 30s, and six more selections later in the round. They've had a bunch of picks, and they haven't been able to hit on any of them, other than Landry Shamit and maybe Bolden. But most of these picks, they haven't. But when you look at other teams like Kuzma, who's the 27th pick, how about this? Kuzma was not included in the package because he was more valuable than the guy that was picked second overall. This trade to me comes down to basically most people in the NBA are thumbing their noses that you can't evaluate. When we know this, there's a, there was a top 20 survey done in the NBA. Nine players that were in the top 25 were picked in the, were picked in the uh, top five. 
Two players were picked in the top 10. Six were picked in the top 15. And seven were picked in the top 45. Now, you just came back from a parade. Sockham was picked at 27th, right? Kuzma was picked at 27th. I mean, so, you know, Malcolm Brogdon, he was picked 36. He's going to get a boatload. Like, to me, this trade is truly about you can't evaluate NBA. Fuck you. We'll give you all these picks, and you won't hit on any of them. Because in the NFL, this would never happen. Because even the worst GM could hit on two of these. With these picks being this high? I mean, when you think about it, like, how do you not pick this? Like, how do you not say, I've got Zion Williams. Oh, my God, he's the greatest player of all time. We'll go to Dick Vitale there. Right. And then you get the fourth pick overall who you could utilize for skill set. Like if you have any talent as a team builder, this is a huge win for New Orleans. Right. Because you can build this team for generations. I mean, literally Zion's there. He's your building piece, cornerstone franchise player. And like you said, the players nobody's focusing on. Like whatever Lonzo Ball gives me. Yeah, great. LeVar Ball's like, oh, the Lakers are going to rue this day. Yeah, whatever you want. It's the picks. If those are lottery picks, those are future stars, generational talent, like a Philadelphia tank, your Sixers tank, and trusted the process, et cetera. And if you're LeBron, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like even he's going to be 35 years old, I believe. All right, you're going for the championship this year, next year. The Warriors are now weakened. Durant's out for the year. Clay might not be back till March. Uh, Houston probably feels like they're in it. Like LeBron's like, we could actually win this thing now. Like that's not inconceivable. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody talks about how the West is great. The West is, I mean, really, we know Houston's a disaster, right? I mean, everybody that I talk to in the NBA knows Houston is a disaster internally. The general manager, the the, the head coach kind of, they, they end up, the general manager ends up picking the staff. So you got some dysfunction going on there. Whether it all works or not, I don't know. But to me, I think this is a slap at everybody's face saying, hey, you guys can't evaluate. Like, at some point, there's a reason why the Clippers turned it around. There's a reason why it it goes back to the old saying, evaluate the evaluator. Like, if you can't evaluate, you shouldn't be making these picks. And most of the time, you know, we're sitting there picking. We trade up. We traded up. We, we traded up to get goddamn Martell false. I mean, seriously. Like, you know, I mean, like that. And that's why these trades in the NBA. If I owned an NBA team, I would spend all my money on trying to break this, like evaluate the evaluator. Like who can find talent in the later? Cause there's talent here. Now there's not an abundance. Like it isn't like a gold mine, but there's talent. When you can sit here and start talking about players, like who in this draft, you got to be asking yourself who in this draft is the Donovan Mitchell? Who in this draft is the, is the Brogdon? Who in this draft is the, you know, like last year I wanted the Sixers. They were picking, I don't know, 20, when they pick Shaman, I want them to pick either Mitchell Robinson or the big kid from Texas A&M, the center, the back, those two backup centers. Now Mitchell Robinson, like he's non-tradable. And he was picked the top second pick. Like, think about it. Here's a kid who didn't play high school. I mean, played high school, didn't play college. To me, I think there's a mythology that we all as fans have perpetuated that is completely wrong, is that you can't find talent in the second round. And you can. It's there. Denver did it. It's just to me, and this trades just slaps into that rhetoric. All right, let's talk about over-under series divisions. We're going to focus over to the NFC North now. So we've been going through division by division. This one's hysterical because at least by the odds, Mike, there's three teams they all have at nine wins, and then the Lions are pulling up the rear at six and a half. So go whatever order you like. I mean, if you go Bears, Packers, Vikings, those are all teams – according to, to Vegas, are all going to be 9-7, and seven, which is a little surprising I love the me. Vikings. I, I, I'm going over on the Vikings. I love the Vikings. They're playing a dome. I think that makes them – I think that's a difference. I think they'll be way better defensively, and I think Kari Kubiak's going to be the difference. I think Kubiak will take what's going to happen 
and I think he's going to make Dalvin Cook sensational. And I think all the Kirk Cousins doubters, I think they'll be much better offensively. I think Zimmer's kind of got the team he wants, plus he's got the offense coordinator he wants. I, I think they got a really good chance to, to be the over. I like them to win this division. I really do. I don't know what to make on the Bears. I think, to me, at the end of the day, good defense coordinators know how to handle what Nag- – Nagy does a lot of great things. But a lot of it is just he's trying to show you this to do that. I'm going to show this to do that. And if you take away what he does really well and you don't play, fall into his traps, you know, it's a little bit like when you when a guy negotiates a contract and he says to you, well, what's the most important thing for you in this contract? And, of course, naturally the guy he's negotiating with says, well, the most important – once you answer the question, you're fucked. Because now he's got you. He's going to give you that, right? And you're going to get 20 things, other things, right? It's the same thing when you're watching his offense. Nagy shows you something that you think, oh, my God. But in reality, what is the core? Like, what is the most common? And I think that people that study it this year will get better. I I think nine's the right number for the Bears. I, I really do. I think the Packers are the wild card for me. Like, if you watch the Tennessee Titans on offense, I don't know how Matt LaFleur is a head coach. I think that will Mike Pettin be better on defense? Boy, Mike, there's a lot of things that gets cut. I don't know about the Packers. The one thing I do know, I think it's going to be really hard for the Lions. That I do know. Yeah, at six and a half, you feel like, okay, that's, I mean, they're, they're maybe think the under, we've talked about Stafford off the field challenges, et cetera. Maybe they're a six and 10 team. So you've got Vikings, let's say 10 and six win the division. Bears are probably a push at nine. So you think the Packers, okay, give, give me, um, could the Packers go from eight and eight to 10 and six? Is that the, the broad range? I, I think they easily could do that. I think that we're looking at we're looking at so much parity within the league, and I think if Rodgers likes this offense, here's what I do know. Rodgers doesn't like to turn his back to the defense. That I do know for a fact, okay? So this offense is a lot of turn your back to the defense. Now, whether he'll tolerate it or not, I don't know. We also know that Rodgers isn't a fan of throwing hot off of certain situations. He wants to throw hot. He doesn't want to hold the ball. He's comfortable. The one thing I've learned in life is Tom Peters, the great management guru, taught, taught this years ago it's harder to retrain than train they're trying to retrain Aaron Rodgers and I think as great as he is and I'm one of his biggest fans I think it's going to be hard to retrain him and I'm just not sure how good the Packers will be on defense because it's hit or miss with with Patton you know he could he could hold you down or you could get up a bunch of points and then you got to worry about their injury situation are they going to be able to stay durable Right, that's the whole issue is durability. All right, we're going to uh, last one we're going to focus on here is teams you'd like to see end the drought. You know, we just saw the St. Louis Blues win their first ever Stanley Cup, 52 years of existence. Of course, the Raptors win their first championship where I just was in Toronto. As far as teams, you know, you see in the NFL, who would you like to see win? Here's the options. Bills, 0-4, never won. Vikings, 0-2. Uh, the Lions have never won a Super Bowl. The Browns have never won a Super Bowl. Of those four, multiple choice, Mike Lombardi, which one of those four would you most like to see? I would love to see the Browns win it because I'm, I'm, you know, I was at the Browns twice. I have great affection for that 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 helmet, and I think it would be unbelievable to see that city celebrate a Super Bowl. I think it would be it would blow the doors off. I mean, Lake Erie might sink. It would be remarkable if they could. Uh, I don't know if it could happen within the next five years. I'm not sure of that. I think it would. You know what I found interesting this year was the two teams that won titles, one of them on opposing courts. You know, Bill Parcells used to say to me all the time, the greatest sound of all is the sound of silence in a visiting stadium. Like, you don't hear any chirping when you win on the road. Like, that's the greatest sound of all time. To be able to listen to that when you're walking back to the locker, to celebrate on the court 
when nobody gives a shit or to celebrate on the ice when nobody gives a shit that you're like, really, seriously, was anybody in the stadium when Toronto was celebrating? They all went home, beat the traffic, got to get on the 880. Oh, and the you fact know? the Raptors won three at Oracle, like this is one of the great hometown crowds, the home court advantages of the last five years in the NBA, and they beat them three times there. That's crazy. What does that tell you as the GM of the Warriors? you got to say to yourself, when we lose home games, we're not very we, – there's a reason. It is just something more. It's like it's like the Minnesota Vikings. When they lose in the Dome, there's something that's bothering you. Like if you're Atlanta Falcons and you don't have a 10-6 and six record because of that Dome – then there's something wrong with your team. And it's because probably you've evaluated yourself too much at home than you have on the road. And what other thought for the Blues? I mean, you talk about success stories. They were in last on January 3rd. Like, it's one thing to go, like, start of the season, worst to first. No, they were in last on January 3rd. Six months later, they win a Stanley Cup. Hockey's the most unpredictable. On the road, they win it. In Boston, which is supposed to be a hard place to play and dominate. The, I mean, they, they they ran away with it. You know, the only thing that would have helped them would have been that walrus from Geico. That would have been the only <laughs> thing that could have kept them away. And by the way, just to shut up those boisterous Boston fans, I mean, they've been a little bit spoiled here the last 15 years. Oh, so my God. Yeah, no up, doubt. Right? No doubt. I mean, the Red Sox are good. I mean, they've had a, they've had a good run now. There's no doubt. Uh, where can we find you next? I feel like you're always doing another speaking engagement. So you're just in Vancouver. Where are you going to be next? I'm going to Milwaukee this week. I've got a speaking engagement out at Lake Geneva, which I'm jacked for. I've never been to Lake Geneva. So I'm going to go out there. I'm going to do that. And uh, National Association of Engineers, which will be fun. So that'll be great, and it'll be fun. You know, go to Milwaukee. There's nothing like going to Milwaukee and hanging out there. You know, all those cheese heads. So it'll be fun. Yeah, brought. How about you? What do you now? What do we have on Cine? What are we doing now? What, what so are we Cinefile, reviewing? We're reviewing uh, Aladdin, which is in theaters. There's a really funny show called Rami on Hulu. We're also talking a little more Sopranos. I, I'm going to have you on at some point. We're going to do guest, like just guest spots on Sopranos. You just tell me favorite episodes, favorites. I feel like you and I will go two hours on it. But we're talking about season one today. Um, a couple episodes I love: Legend of Tennessee Moltisanti with Chris wants to be a screenwriter, and Boca, which is an episode I love because it shows Boca. the code of Junior when they find out what he does to his girl, the way Tony mocks him on the golf course, and the way that Junior reacts, shoving the cake in her face. I mean, that's amazing to me. Hand me the sweet peppers, will you, please? I love that when he's laying in the bed. Hand me the peppers, will you, please? And she feeds him the best the best. I mean, I got to get the Boca. You know, he has a ch- – oh, I, I, that season one's so good. I could watch season one again. No, I, I mean – I, you know, I think my my one of my all time favorite ones is in season three. It's called Second Opinion. It's when it's about Uncle Junior going to the doctor, and it's about you know John Kennedy because he loved that name. Because what people don't understand is when you grow up in Italian culture, the Italians thought the doctor was truly the closest thing to Jesus Christ. Like literally, when my mother came back, the doctor said, like he could, like could never be wrong, like he could right. never possibly be wrong, you know. And it's always the best doctor. Like, have you ever somebody said their doctor, their go-to isn't the best? Well, that was it was Seinfeld's line one time because you know they always say oh, nine out of ten doctors recommend it. He goes, but listen, out of every graduating class, there had to be a couple of doctors who were the worst doctors in their class. <laughs> exactly. Where, where did they Where did they go? Yeah, where are they working? Well, good Plus. luck. I can't wait to listen. I'll be listening. I appreciate you, man. You're a great teammate, and I always appreciate you retweeting and. And having fun on Twitter and have fun at Lake Geneva. All right, thank you. We'll talk next week.